0: Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Eodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Well, we have been uh, using this word, Aru, meaning to shift, change, and transform. The vision of the church is going to be on the screen and remains the same. I'm sure you guys will be familiar with it now. Just read through it now and make sure you've got it there in your head. We've also been looking at the strategies of the church. We've been going through it, and we've been looking at three strands to our strategy the first is changing lives the second is transforming society and the third is deepening our influence and it's deepening our influence that I want to be looking at today that's the focus for today and you know As a church, our hope, our desire is the strategy would be that each and every person would feel equipped and empowered to influence those around, whether it's at university, at work, at home, on the street, wherever you are, that you feel fully equipped, fully inspired, encouraged, believed in, and have all that you need to influence the world around you. From the youngest in the church right the way through to the oldest in the church, no matter what sphere you find yourself in, that you feel empowered to inspire. You feel empowered to deepen your influence around with the gospel and the love of Jesus. And we believe that we can do that. The best way that we can do that is if we don't do it alone, but if we do it together. So working together, we can make a massive impact. We can deepen our influence to those around as we work together. My talk that I'm going to do today, it's going to begin really with addressing the pain and the, the really the, the, the discomfort, the awkwardness, the destructiveness of disputes, conflicts, and unforgiveness. I'm just going to look at what it looks like to be divided, as this text talked about. These two leaders in the church are just divided and not of the same mind. We're going to look at that, but also today I want to look at what it may look like to be united. So if the beginning bit has been been divided, not united, the second bit will be united. What would it look like to stand firm? What would it look like to stand together, to work together? What would it look like to deepen our influence in the world around us? Well, the text that Matt just read out there, we see that Paul is hearty. He really wants to influence The people in the church in Philippi. But he also wants to influence those around. He cares for the area. He cares for the place. And he's saying to these guys here, I want you to deepen your influence to the people around. I want you to greatly influence those that God has placed around you. And he's addressing the church here. He's crying out to them. It's the latter part of his letter that he's writing, uh, that he's wrote to the church he wants to influence them and he wants, it's his clause in appeal. He wants to, them to be st- uh, steadfast in their faith. He wants them to be united in their faith. We um, recently had um, some family stay with us over the weekend, last weekend it was, and uh, they brought their two kids. So we got nieces and nephews around. We've got my four kids, our four kids, and their two kids, which do the math It's six kids. And we kind of put them in one room, and then we shut the door. And then the parents went and had a nice coffee, and we were kind of sipping our coffee and chatting and so on. Uh, there'd been a bit of sugar involved in the mix as well. So the kids were kind of like in this room, not, not, not much fresh air, running around, all six of them going a bit ape. And the sugar was kicking in. And as you can imagine, if you've got younger brothers and sisters, or you've got nieces, nephews, children after a little while with a lot of sugar and in one room conflicts can happen little disagreements can brew and it wasn't long before I was called through and uh, and if you like me if you've been in these situations you feel a little bit like this guy on the screen a referee you're kind of there, and you've got one there, and you've got one there, and you're like, whoa, hang on, just hold on. What did you do? Okay, who did it? Who started it? What, what did you do? What, why did you do that? Why is your sister tied up? Like It's like just absolute chaos, and you're there in the middle trying to sort out, trying to work out what on earth has happened to get to this point where there's this big argument, this big disagreement, and there's tears. Now, the Apostle Paul isn't a father dealing with squabbling kids, but he's a church father dealing with children of God. He's a church father who cares deeply about them. I was aware that as I had a child there and a child there, and I've got aunties and uncles in the next room listening on, I'm saying to my children, guys, guys, you know that I love you, don't you? You know that I love you. Please, can you just get on? Followed by the thought, your auntie and uncle are watching. The Apostle Paul knows that the world's watching. He knows that Philippi is watching. He's saying, guys, guys, you know I love you, right? You know that I care for you. Can you please just get on? It's the same heart of God the Father when you think about the Ten Commandments. You see the heart of God that says, people, guys, you know I love you. You know I want the best for you. So don't steal. Guys, you know I love you. You know I want the best for you. So, 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 so don't, don't have idols. Guys, you know I love you. You know I want the best for you. So don't covet. Don't be jealous. Paul's heart is saying, guys, you know I love you. Don't do this. This just ruins your reputation. It just spoils who you are in God. And as the world's watching, it just ruins your reputation and your uh, testimony in life. The Apostle Paul cares so much about this community. He's planted it, he's founded this church. He's writing from prison, and he can't be there, but he's desperate to be there. It's like if you go away on a conference and you check in at home, and you're like, "Hey, I wish I was there. How's it going?" "Oh, really?" Oh, "Okay, oh, I can't help, but oh, okay." And you're kind of checking in just to see how. But Paul's checking in. He's writing this letter because he's heard that there's conflict, and he's saying, "I guess I can't be there, but please, can you just sort it out?" "I'm with you in prayer. I'm with you in spirit, but." Can Can you just sort it out? He loves the church so much that he calls the church his crown. Now this image, the crown, it's a very uh, typical image. It's a symbol that they would have known. It's something that would be very familiar for them. People who were uh, winners and athletes and champions that they would win stuff. They would receive a crown. Often like a garland, I think, of, of bay leaves. But they would put something on their head for winners and champions. And it's like they crown them. And he's saying, guys, you are my prize possession. Like Paul's got a real heart for this church. He says, I love you so much. You're my crown. Like you're my pride. You're my pride and, glo- uh, and joy. I just absolutely love you. But then he moves on in the verse. He says, guys, you know I love you, therefore, or you know I love you, because of that though, can you do this? He's laying it out, he's affirming, he's saying, I love you, can you stand firm in your faith? Can you sort it out? He knows that division weakens their influence in the world. He knows that division undermines their testimony. Verse three here says, Paul's talking about that everyone here that's involved, it's Their names are in the book of life. And he's basically saying, guys, we're on the same race. Guys, we're on the same team. Guys, we're going for this. We're eagerly awaiting Jesus' return. We're in this race together. Guys, come on. You know, our names are in the book of life here. There's bigger things to kind of care about. He's saying, look, there's probably more that unites us than divides us. And guys, can you get a glimpse of the bigger picture? If you see the bigger picture, you'll see how silly this is. Paul's reminding them. He's saying, "Guys, come on!" He's saying, "We're all awaiting Jesus, our future glory." Please sort it out. There was an amazing uh, picture recently when we had um, transforming Edinburgh. We hosted it here in the church. We were just threw in the room there, and uh, there was people from loads of different denominations, different churches, different backgrounds, all came together to eat, have coffee, to worship, and to pray for Edinburgh, praying for the transformation of Edinburgh. It was so inspiring to see people from the diocese laying hands on people from destiny, people praying for each other, just crossing over that sort of different denomination, divide or whatever, and say, guys, we're all, we're all on the same team, we're all on the same page, and just, just affirming each other in the Lord, just standing firm together in our faith. It was an amazing picture. Let's get back to this text then. So Mark just read out there, he's, he's looking at this issue between these two women, Judea and Syngota. Now these are leaders in the church. They're, they're women, they're co-workers who have got a position of leadership in the church. And Paul's calling them out on it. He's addressing their behavior. He's addressing this quarrel, this dispute between the two of them. Let me just give you the context for this. So this is the early church. This is likely to be a house church. It's likely to be a small church, a small gathering, which means that they couldn't avoid each other. They couldn't just rock up on a Sunday and say, well, you know, if I, if I go to that side of the church hall, I'll probably never see her. Uh, and, you know, if I slip in late and if I come kind of like early or whatever, if I sit with that person, I probably won't see her. Like, this is, this is a small community. It's an early church. It's starting out. They're going to be in each other's face all the time. They know that actually this needs to be addressed. They know that something has to happen. Words got to Paul and he's desperately trying to sort it out. Verse 3, the latter part of it. Paul sent uh, somebody to kind of sort it out or somebody in their midst. Now different theologians, different commentaries talk about this person in a different way. Some theologians believe that this is actually Luke who wrote Acts but we're not quite sure. He's saying there's a trusted friend, there's somebody who I respect, I can't be there, but please, this person's going to help you sort it out. It's basically a mediator, it's someone that's going to be in the middle, hear both sides, and try and move the guys forward. So Paul's intentional, like he's not just leaving it to hang, he's like, oh you know what, leave it a few weeks, it'll blow over. He knows the pain of this. He knows that the world is watching. He knows the importance of them being united. He knows the importance of them being on the same page, being in the same mind and the same heart. He's saying, guys, guys, the world is watching. If you uh, look, I'm going off-piste, but if you look and you, you read through Paul's letters, you'll see Paul's heart. Now, Paul's an apostle, yes, but he's an evangelist. Like, he really cares about the unbeliever. He cares that if people walk into the church, not everybody's speaking in tongues. He's caring that people, as they come in, what they see, what they hear, how people act and react. He's caring about their theology. He cares about some of the stuff they've get caught in. Paul cares about the world that's watching, cares about the unbelieving world, the 95%, if you like, of Scotland that don't have any connection to church. Paul cares about them. He's saying, guys, this isn't good. Like, sort it out because it's not good. Let's be honest, 2,000 years or so later, you know, some stuff hasn't changed because where there's people, there's problems. The Church is full of people, isn't it? I realized the other day I'd worked out that um, I have worked for seven churches in a full-time position, 10 churches I've called home, and I've been involved with 40 churches who have supported me as a Christian schools worker. And all the churches that I've seen and been around and led prayer meetings and met with and so on, I've seen a lot of stuff to celebrate, so much joy. But I'm going to be honest, I've seen a lot of dysfunction and a lot of pain. Mediators haven't been brought in to sort stuff out. Barristers on one occasion being brought in. Church splits, not, not plants. There's obviously a difference. And like Paul, my heart's like, guys, the world is watching. The world's watching us. They're saying, if you've got something so different, then show me. What does it look like? Like you love God, God loves you. Like you found life and life in all What does it look like? You you believe in a God that forgives? Are you forgiving? You believe in a God who saves? Do you bring levels of salvation to people through Jesus? But the world is watching us. The ninety five percent are watching us. Brennan Manning was a Franciscan priest and he's an author. And when he was alive, this is one of his famous quotes: "The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips." Walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. That's what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Strong words, isn't it? Let's be honest, it's, it's strong words and it's a challenge there as well. But I want to take it a bit further because it's not just the unbelieving world that finds it unbelievable. It's the new believers that find it unbelievable. It's those that are coming back to faith that find it unbelievable. And it's those who are about to walk out on their faith that find it unbelievable too. They're watching. No pressure then, is there? (laughs) But you know what? It it, it is a pressure. It's a reality. But what an opportunity. What an opportunity. We're human. We're broken. Yes, we get things wrong. But if if the world weren't watching, we'd be worried. Like, if people at work weren't actually bothered, if you're a Christian or actually, they're not bothered if, if it makes a difference to your life. They're not bothered how you spend your money. That would be a problem. But the world is watching the church. They're watching how you are at university, at home, in your marriage, in your friendships, at work. They're watching. And Paul knows they're watching. And he's desperate to sort of out. He's saying, guys, please be united Just please be citizens of heaven. Please demonstrate what heaven on earth may look like. Give them a glimpse of it. Give them a glimpse of it. What an opportunity as the world is watching. They want to know. I had a a guy recently, um, not recently, actually a few years ago, in a church that I was involved in in London. And he said the one sole reason that he gave financially to the church was because the leaders got on. He watched as the leaders would sit at the front and they would kind of banter and have a bit of a chat and so on, and he knew it was genuine, it wasn't fake, and that wasn't his experience. It hadn't been his experience in previous churches over the years, but when he came and he saw that a few of us actually is leading the church, we were friends, like we got on, we actually liked each other, and we were determined to stick to uh, our relationship. Someone once defined a relationship as as two, um, two unperfect people determined not to give up on each other. Like he saw the leaders and he was like, these guys, they're they're striving together. They're standing firm in their faith. I'm going to give to this church, not just financially, but in many ways. Like it makes a massive difference. It makes a massive difference at work, in your connect groups, as you lead certain areas that you fight and strive for where possible to remain in relationship. Let's be honest, if the church is a body, then you could say that at times the body's under attack. The body is under attack. Like Libby said it this morning, the enemy hates the fact that we gather together. The enemy hates the church being built up. The enemy hates it growing and developing and new things popping up. I guess that's why the verse exists, you know, um, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it." It, it. It exists because the gates of hell are actually trying to prevail against it. The enemy wants to attack But the Lord wants us to stand united, stand firm in our faith. That's why Paul is saying, please guys, sort this issue out. The world's watching, stand firm in your faith. Be of the same mind, meaning be in harmony with each other. The enemy won't win, we know that. Jesus, God is building his church and nothing will stand against that. But it's only really as we remain rooted in him that we can do this stuff that we can't do it in our own strength. And and it might be that to achieve the miracle that's needed sometimes to remain united, we may need to be rooted in God and and just empowered by God and say, God, I can't physically do this, but I'm going to remain in you. Our vertical relationship should affect our horizontal relationships. So how you are with God, your quiet time with God, your worship times with God, that should shape your heart to the world around you. It shouldn't just be this insular thing, but as we connect with God and allow him to change our hearts, we should live in unity with people and seek and strive to be um, united with people. This isn't uh, unique to Philippi. Paul's letters, he addresses uh, lots of different issues in in different areas, different churches. Like the one, uh, the letter that he wrote uh, in Romans 12, he says, as much as it depends on you, do everything, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. So here's a question. Who might you need to make an effort to live in peace with? Who might you may have given up on and said, oh, you know, that relationship's done. Who might you need to make an extra effort with just to live at peace with? If the world's watching, if your work colleagues are watching, if your kids are watching, who might it be that you need to make uh, an extra effort to be united with? I was aware recently that um, as I'm a a dad and my kids are watching me and and how I father and my wife's watching me, how I'm husband and how I father, I was aware growing up and in my early stages of being a father that I actually needed to forgive my dad, like big time. And my dad, um, bless him, he struggled with uh, severe mental health issues. So he couldn't really function uh, as a dad should or could. And it was really hard for me to separate his illness from the person and not to be angry with just my dad and not to be angry at the symptoms and understand it and so on. And it was really difficult trying to do that. And after he died, I felt, I felt angry still. In some ways, a double wave of it because I'm like, now I can't restore that relationship. Now I can't actually get that forgiveness. Now I can't fully uh, let go of this. And I remember having grief counseling, but I went to see an elderly guy called Eric Delve. And he sat down with me and he led me through this guided meditation. And he took me in my mind's eye to a picture where Jesus was standing with my dad. And he said, I want you to talk to your dad. And I want you to tell him that you're angry with him. And I said, I can't. He said, you need to. He said, you need to just tell him that because of his illness, because of your childhood, there's a whole lot of stuff that's eating away, if you like, battery acid in your heart, and you need to forgive him. And I was stuck in this little study surrounded by books and this lovely elderly man. I said, I can't. And I couldn't move on from this place. And a lot of prayer and the Spirit came and laying on of hands and so on, and a lot of tears. My heart just broke and melted. And I was able to say in my mind, I, Dad, I forgive you. I, I don't fully get it. I know you were ill, but, but I forgive you. And wow, the difference in my heart. <laughs> now, I was a changed person. I came out different. I came out different. Because sometimes unforgiveness, just, it just hurts you. Like, it just eats away at you. The, sometimes the person isn't even aware that you haven't forgiven them. They're just getting on with life, but it's you that's kind of feeling the pain. And letting go of that and giving that to God completely changed. Now, just let me just say a word of Safety. Like, it's sometimes not wise to actually bring back a relationship that is dysfunctional or is, is harmful. So if you've been in a relationship that's actually abusive, if you're in a relationship that's actually not safe, I'm not talking about saying, hey, just forget that person, bring them back in and carry on as it was. Like, that wouldn't be wise. There's a lot of wisdom that's needed. There's a lot of counsel. There's a lot of prayer that's needed. And sometimes it might be just that you forgive that person you don't fully forget, you're aware of, of the, the situation that they're going through and you don't put yourself in a position where that sort of stuff can happen again. That needs wisdom. That needs friendship. That needs counsel and it needs wise counsel as well. You know, and sometimes it's not possible this side of eternity. Like every effort that you make, it might just not be possible. But the Apostle Paul's saying, if it's possible, like as much as it depends on you, please, please sort this out. Like, like sort it out. But we see that in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas argued, each of them went on his own way, Acts 15. But the aim is, the hope is, the ideal is that for the sake of the gospel, because the world is watching as well, let's try and remain in relationship. Jesus said, this is how people will know that you're my disciples, by how you love one another. We've been forgiven, we've been reconciled with Jesus, and we continue to do that. We forgive others, we reconcile with others where it's safe, where it's appropriate to do that. So if you want to deepen your influence, I want to suggest that how we conduct ourselves at work matters. How we conduct ourselves as a husband matters. Our spouses are watching to see Jesus alive in us. Our friends and colleagues are watching how we treat our colleagues. Where there's been a disagreement or a dispute, whether you talk about that person when they're not in the room or not. How you talk about them um, and where you remain silent. Things you say and don't say. All that counts. All that matters because the world is watching. And we've got this amazing opportunity to show Jesus and to show the forgiveness that we've received to those around us, even when that's hard, even when sometimes it, it was, wasn't us that was in the wrong, even when people maybe has not even haven't said sorry yet. What might it look like then? If that's uh, division, if that is what it might look like and the dangers of uh, being divided, what might it look like if we were to stand in unity? What might it look like if we did influence the, the world around us? Well, I want to look at what that could look like because this is Paul's heart in the letter. He's saying, guys, that doesn't look like it should. That doesn't look right. That's not quite right. Like, hearing all this stuff about that, that's not great What is great is that you stand firm in your faith. What is great is that you're of the same mind. What is great is if you can get on for the sake of the gospel and run this race together, that's going to influence the world around you. That's going to have integrity. That's going to look God-shaped. That's going to look great. What might it look like? Well, it might look like finding the people around who've got the same heart, the same mind, and saying, guys, let's influence the world around us. Let's be united, not divided. Let's look for the things that really unite us rather than divide us, and let's press on with the gospel for the sake of the kingdom. I remember when I was, um, before I did ordination training... Um, I had the privilege of being invited into a group of friends, they were the next stage ahead of me in their journey, but they were all thinking about church planting, they were all thinking about, oh, what would it look like if I get ordained, what would it look like if I plant a church? And I remember the Bishop of Wilsden came in and and just sat down with us and we had coffee. He was at the time was in charge of church plants, and we just quizzed him and picked his brains about stuff. And these guys that were thinking of churches—it's been a joy to watch some of them develop. Some of them are ten years old now. Some of them are a couple years old now, spread across the UK, and saying, "Wow!" You know, the Bishop was sowing seeds of what it could look like if you were to do church and do it well. And I remember the one image that stuck with me. He said, "Guys, can I be completely honest? If you want to do..." Church, and you're going to influence the world around. Think about a fishing net. Think about a fishing net. And he talked about the knot being like a church, and then another knot being like a church. And then another not being like the NHS. And another not being like a charity. And another not being like third sector or the police or teachers or whatever. And he said, guys, if you want to make a massive influence, you need to work together. And you need to join up the dots. You need to stand firm. If you want to catch the biggest haul of fish. If you want to make the the biggest, widest, deepest influence, you need to work together. You can't do it alone. And my encouragement would be is find people in your school, in your university, in your workplace, find people, stand firm with them, hold their hands, be united with them, and show the people around what it looks like to love the world and to stand united, firm in your faith, of one mind, in harmony, and make a big, deep influence in the place that you've been placed. I was speaking to some guys that work at Holyrood, and I've had lunch with the guys, and they're a team of three, and actually their team leader is a Christian They eat together and they pray together. And what an opportunity as the world's watching, as people begin to know these guys are Christians. How does that affect your work? How does that affect how you treat people? How does that affect your morals? How does that affect your standards at work? And I love that. But I heard a story recently I have someone that's got a real heart just to be united, just to seek out and find people who are of the same mind, somebody that really wants to influence deeply her world and work around. And I'm going to invite Laura to come up. So Laura Gilbert, you come up. Let's give Laura a clap just to make her feel awkward, <clears throat> just as she comes up. <clears throat> Laura, you're on number one, uh, just for the sound guys. Hi, yeah. Hey, Laura. Laura, just tell us, what do you do?
1: So I work for an engineering consultancy firm uh, down at the West End, and I only just started in September, so I'm quite new. You're
0: quite new. But that's that's what I do. Awesome. Tell us a little bit about what you and Josh are involved in at the moment on Wednesday.
1: So on Wednesday, uh, Josh, part of his job role is that he leads the Alpha Course on Wednesday night, so... Just, I just tagged along so that I could do it as well. So that's what you are Wednesday night.
0: It's amazing. That's great. So obviously you've been influenced uh, yeah. working and uh, d- leading this stuff with Josh, leading mm-hmm. Alpha on a Wednesday. Just tell me a little bit what you said about what you noticed every lunchtime in your workplace. What do people do?
1: Uh, my office, from what I've seen, everyone is a bit of a workaholic. So. Technically, everyone gets a one hour um, lunch break, but I don't think I've seen a single person take it. Everybody will go and get their food, come to their desk and eat at their desk and carry on with their work. And um, I've noticed that a lot of people in my team especially, they don't know the other people in the office. There's about 120 in our office, I'd say. And uh, it's completely open planned. It's a shared kitchen. There's no reason why they wouldn't know each other, but there's just not really much of a community there at the minute.
0: And just say what you've been doing. You've been praying for these guys recently, haven't you? And yeah. things have been brewing, and it's early stages. But what's just talk about that prayer and what your prayer's been.
1: Yeah. So um, I actually started when I went to the leadership conference last year. Um, I'd already been little offered this there. job. Little plug little there, little plug there. subtle. <laughs> um, I had already been offered the job at this point, but never been in the office, didn't know anything about it. And I heard a guy who was being interviewed there, um, who's a mechanic, and he ran the alpha course in the little garage that he works in. Amazing. And it was amazing, and he talked about how uh, the mechanics, they were all quite intimidating, and none of them had ever been interested in Christianity before, and how scary it was. But when he talked about how well it went, and how people opened their minds and their hearts up to God, and people got saved, uh, it just got me really inspired. And then I tend to come into work about 15 minutes late most days. Um, So when I come in in the morning, most people are already there. Um, But then I just, when I'd been praying for the people at work, I just, when I walk in and I walk past everyone... I just get, in my head, I just get this verse that's um, the one about the harvest is plenty but the workers are few. And I just see everyone and they just don't know how much they're loved. Um, And yeah, so I just thought, just the idea keeps coming into my head. Why don't at lunchtime we run an alpha course for these people in the office?
0: And that's been brewing in you. That's in your heart to run this alpha course uh, at lunchtime in the lunch break. And you've already started asking people, haven't you? And talking to people and you've discovered other people in your uh, work that want to do
1: it. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I haven't actually done anything yet, but um, I've opened up a little investigation to see if there's any other Christians in the office, and I think I've sussed out there's about four other known Christians in the office. There could be some sneaky ones that don't tell anyone. Under the radar. (laughs) Under the radar, yeah. We know who Um, you are. (laughs) But four other people have been caught out, and the word has spread that they are in the office. Um, So I have spoken to one of them and shared the idea. He'd never heard of Alpha, so that was a good start. But... um, (laughs) But hopefully, once I get to speak to the rest of them, mm-hmm. if they're sharing their faith in what is actually quite a scary environment—an engineering firm—to share their faith, um, then they must be quite like-minded people to yeah. me, and they must have the same kind of passions in their heart if they're talking about it. So, hopefully, I'll talk to them, and they'll know what Elf is, and they'll be up for it.
0: Amazing! Let's give Laura a big round of applause. Thank you. <clears throat> hey, I I absolutely I absolutely love that. Like God loves a trier. God loves to try it, doesn't he? And he loves the heart there. Like, Laura is desperately to do something, to make an influence, an impact in her work. The fact that she prays for her work colleagues, absolutely amazing, incredible. The fact that she goes in and thinks, I want to make a difference, I want to influence. Yes, she's going to disagree with people in the workplace, but she's seeking out people in her workplace that are like-minded, people that could lead something with her, people that could make a massive difference, people's lives could be changed for eternity because of that intentionality because she's seeking to stand firm and people who are same mind with her to start and run an alpha during the lunchtime i just think that is amazing so whether it's around the kitchen table with your children at school at university at home let's be people that want to influence people around us by being united by how we conduct ourselves with our relationships and friendships even if we disagree with people how we love each other and forgive let me finish finally just with a story We believe that to deepen our influence, it can't just be us. It can't just be staff members. It can't just be people who've been at the church for 30 years. Like, it has to be children right the way through to the oldest people in the church. And we believe that God can inspire people as we care for his creation, as we love those around, that we can get hold of something and we can actually influence people for good. Like, God's got good stuff for the world and he wants to use the youngest Right through to the oldest. Let me tell you a little bit, um, and I'm going to do a proud dad moment, so forgive me, but I've been desperate to say this. When we moved to uh, Portobello, we felt God's kindness as we moved to a beach. We'd been in New Zealand for two and a half years and and spent a lot of the time on the beach. And to be around the, the beach and the sea every day was just incredible. And to do the school walk every day this is the school run in the morning. This is Reggie and Smith. They're usually cycling, but it was icy and they were slipping off, so they begin to push their bikes. And they walk to school every day along the promenade. It's only a five-minute walk, maybe, five-minute cycle to school. But we pass the beach every day. And Smith, particularly the next slides of Smith, Smith particularly absolutely loves the beach. He loves it. He spent so much time on it in New Zealand, he cares for it. He's really ticked off about pollution and stuff being in the water. doesn't like it at all. He's got a real passion for it. And he heard someone uh, speaking at church, uh, a guy that works for surfers against sewage. And he was talking about all the stuff that's found in the sea. And he's like, it's just, we're just ruining God's creation. And something stuck with Smith. Like something started in his heart. Bless him, he's six. And then at school, they were talking about the beach. And Smith just fires up. He's like, oh yeah, I love the beach. Like we're always going on the beach. Even in the winter, we will be on the beach and we'll play games. I love the beach. But then she said, yeah, you know, is there anything that we could do? We've been looking at the environment and the teacher was exploring, you know, the things that are going on with climate change and uh, and with pollution and so on. And then suddenly the sermon comes back to Smith's head. Suddenly he remembers the things that are found in the sea. Suddenly he thinks, ah, you know what? We could do something. So Smith puts his hands up in the class. Now Smith, bless him, is new. We haven't been here long. And in front of all his friends, he said, Miss, how about we do a beach clean as a class? Now, you'd be forgiven if you thought that Portobello Beach was clean. Because if you look at the sand, actually the beach is quite clean. The problem is the bins aren't. The bins aren't clean, and the bins are always full. And what's happening is the bins are getting full, they're overspilling, they're falling out, the wind's blowing the stuff, the rubbish, onto the beach and into the sea. So the sea actually contains stuff that was in the bins the morning before. And it's not great. So Smith said to the teacher, could we do a beach clean? Being influenced by a sermon, the teacher says, that's a great idea. Why don't we as a whole class go and do a beach clean? So the whole class go down and they spend some time cleaning rubbish off the promenade, emptying stuff, putting things in the bin, filling bin bags, picking stuff up off the beach, bits of plastic and so on. And they clean the beach as a class. Absolutely amazing. The great thing is it influenced the community. So then they invited the parents. So the parents came along and parents were going with bags and they were picking stuff up off the promenade, off the beach and parents were talking to parents. Mothers were talking to children that their kids play with. They were talking about the environment and they were talking about care for creation and they together were cleaning up the beach. But then that class, P2, influenced three other classes. So suddenly you've got four P2 classes Cleaning the Beach on Portobello. All these children, probably around 100 kids now, cleaning the beach at Portobello. Absolutely amazing and and, and really inspiring. But then they inspired each other, and they said, well, we could make a poster. So they made these posters, and they influenced the local shopkeepers to put posters up in their shop. It says, "Don't, don't drop rubbish in the sea. And if you go to Portobello, you'll see these posters around in the local shops. This is a knock-on effect of a little six-year-old saying, could we do a beach clean? And it snowballs, and it snowballs and it snowballs, but it didn't stop there, because the buddy class of Smith's class said, I know, let's write to the council, so they're writing to the council, and they've asked for more bins, and they've asked for the council to come and empty the bins more regularly, because then if the bins are clean, the promenade's clean, the beach is clean, and then the sea is clean. I just love that, I absolutely love that, because it doesn't matter who you are, It doesn't matter what you think you can or you can't do. The strategy is simple. Go and influence the world where you are in the power of the Spirit with what you have. Let's go and deeply influence the world that is watching. Let's find the people. Let's work together and let's stand firm in all that we have with the same mind to do and see great things for God.